This episode is brought to you by MDC Strategy. By the Hood has partnered with several other educators and investors to create MDC Strategy. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme or fake internet guru selling you dreams of wealth. This is a community of educators and investors who believe in the power of community and shared ideas. We share information about real estate, long-term stock investing, precious metals, options trading, cryptocurrency, and much more. For more information, visit mdcstrategy.com. This is not investment advice. It's for educational and informational purposes only. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the Buy the Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every show, that is with gratitude. I want to say thank you to anyone who supports anything that we got going on, man. We got a lot of supporters. We want to say thank you first and foremost before we say anything else. Um, special shout out to all the youth for the Buy the Hood Ownership Camp, which is coming upon its 10th camp this summer. Um, can't wait to get to the camp this year. That should be amazing. Um, you know, my partner Core is not here with me today, but I definitely still want to drop this pod. This is uh, episode 229. Who the hell is number 29? Episode 200 of Eric Dickerson. There you go. Um, with that being said, for those tuning in for the first time, do me a favor and subscribe, man. Let's get let's get the uh, the nonsense out the way, all the YouTubian things. Let's, you know, like, comment, subscribe, and do all the good things that you're supposed to say when you're on YouTube. Um, or if you're on Facebook, like the page too, because this does show on our Facebook page as well. But I'm here because I wanted to make this quick podcast to talk about an article that I recently read um, about rental rates and real estate within the city of Philadelphia. So for those who are tuning in for the first time, our show was dedicated to talking about black wealth and personal finance. We touch on a, um, a lot of topics, the stock market, um, Bitcoin. We talk about um, real estate, uh, you know, anything pertaining to black wealth. And we have a more holistic approach. A lot of times we're talking about the mentality and and also some of the um, trauma that goes around wealth building and, and trying to survive in 2024 in uh, the United States of America. And we kind of tell our story. But um, for those who don't know me, my name is Jimmy, like I said in the beginning. And professionally, I'm a you know real estate analyst or data scientist. Um, I do a lot of work uh, surrounding real estate, specifically within the city of Philadelphia. Um, my background in real estate is extensive. I've done a lot of things in terms of development, being a landlord. Um, working in the assessment office, doing modeling. I've done all kinds of different things as it pertains to real estate, but I look at real estate data on a daily basis. And, you know, part of that has made me to understand this market a lot better than most, I would say, you know, not saying I'm the smartest because I'm far from it. Um, but I do love to learn and I love to study specifically our Philadelphia market because I find it a very unique market Philadelphia is definitely a city of neighborhoods and from block to block, things just change and it plays out that way in the data. So um, over the last several years, I spent a lot of time on different platforms, our own platform, as well as other podcasts. It's funny because I was on um, our brother Andre Hatchett's podcast years ago um, in Atlanta, and I had mentioned to him about Philadelphia values and where I saw Philadelphia values. And I was talking about the idea that people should still be buying in Philadelphia as opposed to other markets. And there are a lot of factors why 
when you look at where Philadelphia fits geographically within our country um, in the Northeast, and you see what it's surrounded by other cities such as Boston, uh, DC, New York, and, and you know um, cities of that nature. But the thing is, when you look at their values and their housing stock versus ours, it makes you start to wonder, like, you know, at what point um, do we kind of catch up or will those values become in, you know, I've said this in several podcasts in the past, will it go to a place where the average working family won't be able to own a home? Now, that gets into a lot of political discussion, whether that's fair or unfair, um, or what is being done about that from a political standpoint, but that's not what we're going to talk about here today, because that, <laughs> you could write a book and tons of books about that. Um, but, you know, sometimes things are what they are when you look at um, what's happening from an economic standpoint, you understand that Philadelphia won't always be relatively as cheap as it is, because for some, it's already not cheap, right? Philadelphia is truly a city of the have and have nots when you look at income um, and when you look at assets, right? So, but with that being said, let me share this article. And I also want to shout out, um, shout out the sister who wrote this article. Um, her name is uh, uh, Mikhail Bond. She actually wrote an article about us in our camp a couple of years ago. So, you know, I'm always thankful for that article because it did shine light onto the work that we do in the community. So always want to make sure I uh, pay tribute to and say salute to her. But she writes about real estate. And here's an article um, from the recent Philadelphia uh, Inquirer. So the article is titled, and for those who are watching the video, you should be able to see the article. For those that are listening to the audio, I will make sure to link the article in the description so you can take a look at it, as I always do with any article that we talk about on the podcast. But the article is titled, See What $1,700 in Rent Can Get You Across Philly. It says this budget can get up to 1,500 square feet of apartment space in the Northeast. It'll get you as little as 211 square feet in Manhattan. But Philly has some of the largest $1,700 apartments in the Northeast. So just right there, right? 211, never mind, 211 square feet, that's insane, yo, compared to Philadelphia where it's 1,500, right? So just starting the article off with, gives you an idea of where New York fits in reference to like Philadelphia, specifically Manhattan, because Brooklyn at this point is is, is out of control as well. Um Anyway, so it says paying $1,700 a month in rent may get you a spacious home or a shoebox, depending on where you live. In Philadelphia, it can mean roughly 1,500 square foot apartment in the Northeast or less than 500 square feet in West Philadelphia. So then, even within Philadelphia, depending upon where you are, that changes. It says in New York, it can mean 566 square feet in Upper Manhattan or just over 200 square feet in Lower Manhattan. Where renters $1,700 per month buys the least space in the country. So the thing about that Lower Manhattan number, 200 square feet, for $1,700 a month, um, that buys you the least space in the country at that price point, which is insane, right? And I only bring that up because, you know, I'm a man of a certain age. I remember people renting houses for five, 600 bucks a month, right? But due to inflation and, um, you know, the value of our dollar not being what it is, $1,700 a month is getting you pretty much nothing in New York. And in Philadelphia, you still, you know, um, can live relatively... Uh, I would say relatively because it all depends upon your perspective, right? Um, perspective change. If you if you grew up in New York, you grew up in Manhattan, you look at you know this a little bit different than if you grew up, say, somewhere down south, right? 
Anyway, with that being said, so this is according to an analysis by the National Apartment Search website, Rent Cafe. So Rent Cafe is the one who did this study. Um, and it looked at average rents and apartment sizes by zip code across the 50 largest U.S. cities. $1,700 monthly budget can buy 944 square feet on average. Now, that's the average, right? So that's the mean, not the median. Rent Cafe based its analysis on an estimate of the national average rent this fall. In the Northeast region of the United States, six zip codes offer renters more than 1,000 square feet of apartment space for $1,700. And they're all in Philadelphia, Right. So this is coming at it from the standpoint of someone renting. You get more space and more bang for your buck in specific zip codes within Philadelphia than anywhere else in the Northeast. So this fits the analysis that I was making in 2016, 2017, like even before then, because um, I'm always looking at the Northeast um, as a section of the country. The median asking rent for a two-bedroom apartment in December in the city was 1720. And generally, the farther an apartment is from Center City, for the last two decades, the more space it provides for $1,700 in rent. So in my profession, in terms of like data science with real estate, uh, we call it the uh, CBD, the Central Business District. So within a city, a lot of times in Center Cities, you have your Central Business District where a lot of jobs and commerce take place. And the closer you are to the CBD, the more value that properties tend to have. Um, but also the higher that rents tend to be, the closer you are to the CBD. But further you get away, the more you can get for that $1,700. So it says of the 1,665 zip codes um, that Rent Cafe analyzed, the 30 where renters get the least space for $1,700 are all in New York. In these places, the largest apartment is 290 square feet and the smallest is 211. I don't know how anyone lives in 211 square feet. And the only reason that I know it actually happens is because... There's a lot of YouTube channels where you can Google like, uh, you know, small New York spaces and they like walk you through the apartments, which is utterly ridiculous. Um, Southern and Midwestern states offer some of the biggest apartments for seventeen hundred. That budget goes the furthest in sections of Memphis that borders Mississippi. In that zip code, renters can get an apartment stretching just shy of two thousand square feet for seventeen hundred. So if you want to, you know, go down to Memphis, listen to some music. Not mine. Some of y'all get that joke. Anyway, um. Here is Philadelphia, a map, and it's broken down by zip codes, right? Anytime I do an analysis in the city of Philadelphia, I never use zip code. And that, you know, that goes to the reasoning that I was talking about um, in the beginning of this episode. So I like to use things such as geographic market areas or specific neighborhoods, right? Because Philadelphia is still a city of neighborhoods. So when you break things down by census tract and or zip code, it doesn't tell a full story. An example of that would be, let's look at this map. For those that are watching the video and you can see that, 19121. 19121 um, has properties that are very expensive and it also has properties that will fall on that lower end. So it's just kind of, in certain areas, you can't really use a zip code to kind of tell a story. But with all that being said, the one thing that this analysis said is 19135, which is kind of the lower Northeast, um, renters can get the most apartment space for 1700 bucks. 19104, which is like, you know, um, center city, closer to center city south, it's like South Philly, uh, is where you get the least amount of space. For those that are familiar with Philadelphia and, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big city, but you know, I guess when you grow up here, it's a little small, everybody knows everybody. But anyway, just looking at 19104, it's, um, you know, um, 
19106 would be directly in the CBD. So you see how close it is if you're looking at this from the CBD going south, but not necessarily southwest. Southwest will hit in 19143, again, if you're looking at the map. But 19104 is where you get the least amount of space. So um, Taconia and Wissanoming, like I said, the lower northeast offers the most space. And 19153, which is considered Eastwick, the surrounding area in southwest Philly, can get you about 1,231 square feet. So these are the six zip codes where you can get the most bang for your buck in the entire Northeast. Taconi, Wissanoming, Eastwick, Southwest, West Oak Lane, East G. That's the East G. That's what we call EG, but it's East Germantown, Oxford Circle, Mayfair, Frankfurt, Juniana Park, and Crescentville, Fox Chase, Burholm, and Lawndale, which is 19111. So these are the six zip codes where you can get the most bang for your buck. So what does all this mean, right? I'm not going to read this entire article. Um, it does give you some more uh, different places where you can actually look and get either a lot of space or a little bit of space. Memphis, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, Missouri, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and San Antonio, Texas. You get a lot of space. New York, Boston, and San Fran, obviously, are on the other end. But what's interesting about that is just looking at this one um, spot, and also shout out to Mikhail again, um, New York in Boston. Those are cities surrounding Philadelphia. And I say that to say this, right? So here's my overall analysis and thought about this article and why I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting because as we mentioned in several um, episodes ago, when we talked about value and how value always chases scarcity. So one of the great things about real estate is real estate tends to be a scarce asset. So it's only a matter of time before Philadelphia starts to trend that way, right? So you see $1,700 in lower Manhattan for 211 square feet. I'm not saying we'll be there anytime soon. But what I do know is a lot of people who are from New York and who are from Boston have started to come into Philadelphia, specifically in a climate and culture where there's a lot of work from home opportunities post-pandemic. Um, so now I can get the, the more bang for my buck and get a more square foot of a home in terms of a purchase or even a rent um, than I can, but I can work from home and still make the money that I make in New York and in Boston. The thing about New York and Boston, if we were to kind of like overlay a study of income, it will kind of match up. Like the higher the income, the less space you get, right? It's all tied together. But now when I can get the income of, say, working in a New York, but I can get the space of living in a Philadelphia, I'm kind of getting the best of both worlds. No Kells. Um, and what happens there is that market tends to change over time. So is someone who's concerned with black wealth and personal finance, you have to put yourself in position to kind of like, you know, um, understand where things are going. I'm not saying that everyone is meant to own a land or own a property, although I do think it's one of the most important parts of wealth building is owning land. And the reason I say that is because all value tends to flow to land eventually to me. I believe that land will always have value just based upon the utility in land versus other asset classes. Right. At the end of the day, land can be used to produce food. And I don't want to get too esoteric into my thoughts uh, in terms of talking about land, but I believe that land will always have value and land is an important part of someone's portfolio. Now, does that mean you need to own physical land or could you own land and paper? 
I, I love I love REITs. I love buying paper real estate where you can use your capital to kind of like contribute to a piece of property in, in, in other ways. But I also understand that the value in land over time. So a lot of my stock folks like to do a comparison of, say, real estate versus stocks. But I think that I understand how that analysis will work out over time. But I think there's another part of land that's a little bit different when you start talking about legacy and when you start talking about um, the rights you have as a homeowner, the bundle of rights. And also when you start to get into the political space, what it means to be an actual owner of land. I mean, there's a point in time in our history where you couldn't even vote if you didn't have land. Now, I'm not suggesting that anything like that is uh, um, should exist. Uh, but what I do know is when you go to complain to the powers that be and you are a stakeholder uh, from someone who owns land in a specific area, your wants and needs are listened to a little bit differently. So owning land to me is, is, is a lot bigger than just the numbers on a piece of paper that show your ROI. But I also understand that we're moving in a space slowly but surely where the average working class family won't be able to own a piece of land. So put yourself in position sooner rather than later to do so. And also just watch this over time. We're, we could probably revisit this in a couple of years. We'll still be doing our podcast in um, and I'll come on and, and, and go over these numbers again, just to show you how things change over time. When you look at how things have, even the market, the market in Philadelphia between the years of say 2016 and 2023, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. Certain areas of the city, the property values have literally doubled, literally doubled, right? The thing is, we're still playing catch up because of areas like Boston, New York, that the, the real estate is so expensive. I was in Boston, um, it, was the last, it was 2023 or 2022, one of those, I'm losing time now, post pandemic. But I was in Boston looking at real estate and the amount of space you got for the money <clears throat> blew my mind. I'm like, wow, specifically around Harvard University's campus. When you start to get outside of the campus and look at some of the residences over that side, couldn't believe it. I, you know, everybody knows about New York. Everybody knows about New York, um, but we are headed that way. So if you put yourself in position and understand what's going on, um, you know, you can do a lot for yourself as well as your community. Speaking of community, how do you have a community if you don't have a lot of stakeholders in terms of people that own? And it's bigger. Also, I want to mention this before we get out of here. It's bigger than just owning residential properties, right? Our organization is called By the Hood. So people have this idea of what we stand for. And they say, hey, you guys are, you know, doing blah, blah, blah. A lot of people call us gentrifiers and all that kind of stuff, which is cool. Because if you understand how gentrification truly works, you wouldn't call us that. But with that being said, one of the things we like to tell people that it's not enough just to own the residential properties, right? There's a lot of commercial space that that's within our neighborhoods that we should be owning that as well. Space, you got to own space, you know, go get our book, by the way, our book is called Own Your Time and Space. With that being said, um, what are your thoughts on the Philadelphia market or land in general? And what are the rents um, look like in your area? Is it still affordable to live wherever you are? Let us know. Let us know where you're checking in from across the country. I know we have a lot of folks in Texas um, that watch our podcast and listen to our podcast and give us feedback on all the various social media platforms. And it's always interesting to talk to our folks from Texas because they get so much bang for their buck. In fact, my brother Cora just moved from here 
and um, built a house in Texas and talks about just the amount of space that he gets versus what he had here in Philadelphia. So it's always interesting um, to hear from our folks in Texas. But if you're somewhere else, let us know where you're from and give us your perspective um, on the land where you are. Is it becoming unaffordable for the working class family or is it still relatively affordable? And what are your plans for land in the next, you know, say decade or so? Are you looking to acquire more? Are you looking to move away from it? Because believe it or not, I know a lot of people now who don't want to own. They want to own other things, other asset classes, but they don't want the responsibility of owning real estate because being transparent again, it is a responsibility, right? I got a lot of things right now in my house I have to get done. Um, you know, we're in the process of moving, but it's, it's a responsibility. There are things that you're going to have to, you know, uh, fix and do. But with that being said, you're putting money into your investment, right? The idea of real estate is a real interesting one, because if the banks didn't have the relationship with real estate the way they do, I don't know if I would be as invested in this asset class. What makes real estate attractive to me is the relationship it has with the banks, because at the end of the day, everything comes down to resources and the ability to create capital from said resources. But the banks have a unique relationship with real estate, which to me also gives it value. And it's that collateral thing. Um, it's different having a property as collateral than, say, having, you know, you name it, whatever, whatever kind of collateral, like a classic book or whatever. Um, but there's also value in liquidity, which is why I like to participate in multiple asset classes. But I could talk about this all day long. Just give us some feedback. Let us know what you think about the real estate market in your specific area or about the information that I gave you about um, the rental rates across the country. I would love to get your feedback. Um, this has been episode 200 and Eric Dickerson. Um, we appreciate the support. Make sure you follow, subscribe, like, do all that good stuff and, and, and give us some feedback. But as we always say, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep. Game elevates and we'll see you guys in our next episode. Peace. Bye.